0: Hello, everybody. Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to the Daily Evolver. Today, I wanted to share a little of my thinking on the U.S. presidential election. You know, things are shaping up. We've had a couple sets of Democratic debates. Trump's on the warpath. And there were a couple articles in the New York Times Sunday Review that really piqued my interest. And I thought I'd just share some of what I was thinking about it. Uh, The first article is, see, it's a full-page article where there is a grid uh, with each of the, I guess it's 20 leading contenders for the Democratic nomination. It's a spoof, and it's as if it were Tinder profiles. So it was a good way to just look at all of them at once and consider that. And then the second article that caught my attention was a a column by Ross Douthit, who is the New York Times resident, quote, conservative, although kind of a sophisticated progressive conservative, if you ask me. And the name of the article is, Donald Trump is not a sinister genius. With a subhead, his race baiting is impulsive, not a strategy. And I agree with that. And that aligns with what I consider to be a developmental view, and which is the most instructive view to me of Trump, and that is that he is, in important lines of development, arrested at red, or the egocentric stage. And I'm talking morally, I'm talking in terms of identity, and adults that are arrested at this stage. We sometimes refer to them as sociopaths or psychopaths, and I say that with all peace and love. They're children of God, too. Uh, But they have a couple qualities that I think are really instructive with Trump, again, and and that is that they respond far more to praise and particularly adulation than they do to criticism or even punishment. They just don't have censors for that. And I don't know where it was, but it just struck me, another one of his quotes that, you know, just blow my mind. But he made the observation about himself that I don't mind offending people. And that is obviously true. Uh, But on the other hand, you know, the stirring up of the crowd... And getting that kind of adulation where people are just loving you and cheering and waving and unison and call and response, and you're Big Daddy, it's deeply thrilling. And that is something that is just mother's milk at Red. That's what we're going for at that stage. And that's not strategic. That's just in an in-the-moment altered state. So um, uh, Daltha talks about this. He writes, he feeds on it. He loves it. And he's as obviously bored by the prospect of a safe status quo campaign as he is obviously uninterested in the conservative intellectuals trying to transform Trumpism into something intellectually robust. Lied in that sentence, but it's true. And then he also points out that the race baiting, and I'll quote, he says, the race baiting has clearly contributed to its chronic unpopularity. And his reelection chances would almost certainly be far better if he talked more like George W. Bush on race instead. And then he goes into various polling stats that support that argument. But the one that is most interesting to me, and again, I think makes a, a solid integral point, is that he writes, there's no sign that Trump's rhetoric has generally boosted white America's sense of racial grievance. Instead." Polls show that even among Republicans, let alone independents, racial stereotypes have softened under Trump. And that means that the landscape is less favorable to something like his war with Elijah Cummings, et etc. And I think that's true. Fighting does not mean we're doing something wrong. Fighting does not mean things are getting worse. Fighting often means things are getting better because it is an engine of evolution. So I want to just sort of plant that stake that trump is vulnerable trump can lose because those of who, those of us who want him to lose sometimes lose heart and see him you know i do it myself alternately this just completely loudish buffoon and on the other hand this evil genius and what helps me sort of get centered and relate in a way that makes more sense is to see him as somebody who's arrested at red. Or maybe it is strategic and maybe Trump is the one playing three dimensional chess. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I was talking to Steve McIntosh this morning, he was over and we were talking about this and he pointed out that, you know, it's Trump, it's Trump's extremism on the, sort of right, if you will, that has created an opposite reaction on the left that is in many ways equally extreme, and that maybe that's what Trump wanted all along. The only way he could win was to make the left go crazy, and he did, and maybe he knew that. Maybe he has an understanding of these deep undercurrents of power. That's red specialty, let's not forget, uh, that the rest of us have sort of forgotten, you know. And would be well to get back in touch with. So, I don't know. Okay, so this idea of a beatable Trump, we need to hold on to this. Uh, It leads us to see who might beat him. And here we go with the other column I was talking about, which is this full-page spread of all of the candidates as if they were having a Tinder profile. And it's called Tinder the Vote by by Eve Picer. I have never been on Tinder. I don't really understand some of the lingo here. I did go on Grinder, the gay equivalent, for about a half hour at one time, just anthropologically. And of course, once I realized you had to create a profile in order to move forward, I bailed at that point, of course. Okay, let's start with the first one, Joe Biden. And what she writes about him is, vote for me and let's pretend this whole Trump thing never happened." And I do think that's the essence of his campaign. Uh, I do think that he is the consensus candidate. He has the same feel of a consensus candidate, unfortunately, as did Mondale and Dukakis and Kerry and even Hillary Clinton. And I worry that the presidency, well, I don't worry about this. I think it's a good thing. The presidency is about the future, not the past. And I don't think we wanna go back. So I'm thinking if there's another candidate comes along that has the feeling of this person can be Trump, then his very significant support currently, like 40% or whatever it is, will be dispersed quickly among uh, these other candidates. And identifying him with the past has nothing necessarily to do with his age, um, as evidenced by the second person that she profiles. And that's Bernie. And so Bernie's a year older than Joe Biden, but he has an energy and a sharpness to me that is really remarkable. But what is most significant to me about Bernie is that we call him Bernie. He has achieved the status of a cultural icon now. And there's an affection for him, even the pundits, even his, you know, even the Republicans refer to him these days as Bernie. And there's something about that that has the uh, it risks making him endearing, which is not his, um, his uh, you know, presenting quality. But I'm feeling it myself. I feel an affection for him. And I love that he is who he says he is and has always been. Like Reagan, the world turned his way. And that can be very powerful he is a socialist, and to the degree that he makes his arguments about the, particularly the inequality of opportunity, so am I. I'm all of these things. I mean, I went to this uh, discussion group that was organized around local politics, and I agreed with everybody, you know. Uh, I'm a socialist, I'm a libertarian, I'm a capitalist. And I actually think that there's something to that. I think that there is some loosening of ideology that happens as we become more multi-perspectival because we just naturally see the intelligence of all of these ideologies and the piece of the truth that they have and that we do want an equality of opportunity to the degree that that's possible. And it is to a far more degree. And at the same time, we want to have individual achievement and and inspiration and freedom. And I don't think those are mutually exclusive. And I think that the younger generation is seeing them as more integrated and it's bored and tired with these left-right dichotomies. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm good with Bernie. You know, I don't think that even if he were to be elected and I don't rule that out at all, I think he has a good chance. He's going to have to deal with a a, a, a system that uh, has the features the balance of powers. But what we're looking for is somebody who will turn the ship of state. As, it's like an aircraft carrier, the old analogy that you turn the wheel and four miles later something happens. So, you know, I'm I'm good with Bernie and I'm happy to see him have this new status as a cultural figure. Okay, so the next Tinder profile is Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And I am really interested in Mayor Pete. I did a podcast on him that I called Mayor Pete's X Factor. Could it be integral consciousness? And I argue that he does have an integral sensibility. And um, it's like, like, for instance, even in the debates, he talks about democratic capitalism. It's a little bit what I was just talking about. People can really identify with both of these instead of democratic socialism or just plain old capitalism. It's democratic capitalism. That's a nice new integration. Uh, Medicare for all who want it is a nice new integration. It's, it's an uh, evolution of centrism in a way that I think is, a, I mean, I think it's the winning lane against Trump uh, run up the middle. Like this, And my fantasy is that when Kamala Harris was arguing with Biden about who did or didn't support mandatory school busing in the 70s, which was a disastrous political policy for sure, it peeled off a lot of middle-of-the-road Democrats who never came back. Because they saw an out-of-control social engineering, multicultural thing coming online in the mid-70s that they just weren't ready for, where children were being bussed across town and it wasn't popular with blacks or whites. And, I mean, to say that, to say, wait a second, is nobody going to state the obvious here? Is this where the party is that we're arguing about our fealty to busing? And that would have got the news, that would have really rung chimes for a lot of moderate Democrats. It also would have, you know, it's, it's a little bit like what Trump knows. It's just an exercise of power. It, it's like, if you remember the very first Republican debates, when Trump was standing on stage with, I think there was 19 Republicans. And the very first question of the very first debate was raise your hand if you pledge to support whoever it is that will be the nominee of the party. And everybody raises their hand except Donald Trump. And right in that moment, he was, you know, he gained stature. There these pygmies beside him that were all, you know, in this Republican trance. And what he should have said was, I'm not here for the Republican Party. I'm here for the left out Americans who, you know, he could go into his whole American carnage thing right then and there. Instead, being Donald Trump and being egocentric, he said, well, I'm not going to pledge this because I'm going to wait to see how you treat me. You treat me good, I'll treat you good. I mean, it was nauseating. I mean, especially after this amazing thing of not raising his hand. But at any rate, There was a possibility in the Democratic debate when there was arguing on these far left positions for somebody to just say, wait a second, this is crazy, and to at least take that lane. I wish Mayor Pete had done it, but he didn't, and I still love him anyway. (laughs) So next is Andrew Yang. And, you know, God bless Andrew Yang. He has this techie vibe He's in his early 40s. He's whatever the hell generation that is. I'm getting them all confused at this point. But, you know, he's all about the robots and about the new evolution of the new economy, where work is going to be less and less onerous for sure, if not completely optional. And his marquee policy is universal basic income, where the government writes a check to basically everybody every month. And it's a living wage, so to speak. You can live on it. I think the devil's in the details. I think that's the beginning of a conversation. This is how things move forward. So I'm happy that he's carrying that torch. And, you know, I think it's also just obvious that the Democratic primaries are a branding exercise for a new generation of leaders, And they want to come out and they want to get known and they really may not expect to win the presidency. You never know. There's a, you know, after Trump and Obama, you can't say that the long shot doesn't have a chance. But uh, at any rate, you build your brand. So this is his. And I think it's good. And I'm for him. Okay. so the next Tinder profile is Kirsten Gillibrand. And what this writer writes about her is Senator period woman period. And that is Kirsten Gillibrand's brand, women. I read her book, which is called, what is it? Off the Sidelines, Speak Up, Be Fearless, and Change Your World. Basically written to women. it's uh, She comes from a long line of powerful political women. And her argument is for women to be ambitious and that that's okay. It's, A, you could have it all, but maybe not all at once. I I thought it was a good book. I thought at the end of it, I felt like she didn't care about me because I was a man a little bit. I mean, I I, I felt a little left out of it, honestly. But, um, you know, God bless her. That's the brand she wants. It has gotten her into some serious trouble, actually, with the Democratic uh, base, at least. She spearheaded the movement to purge Al Franken from the Senate, also a Democrat, for, I think, what a lot of people think are pardonable offenses. So she carries that, but that's her brand. And regardless of whether she wins or not, she is a higher profile advocate for women and a good one. All right. Next is a personal, another. Okay. So. Next is another personal favorite of mine, Marianne Williamson. Okay, so next is another personal favorite of mine, Marianne Williamson. And it says, what if instead of having a department of war, bad in parentheses, we have a department of peace, good in parentheses? And then the second line is, pick me for good karma. So you know, typical kind of mainstream media interpretation of Marianne Williamson, who I think deserves more, and I'm really excited about her. I've really, do I say I loved Marianne Williamson for decades? I've been impressed with her. I've appreciated her teaching for decades. And uh, I know a lot of integralists do as well. And that she is bringing love seriously. We we have to take love seriously when Marianne Williamson's around. And that is a very good thing. There's a lot to say about her and I want to keep this moving. So I I just want to focus on a column that David Brooks wrote about Marianne Williamson a few days ago, titled, Marianne Williamson knows how to beat Trump, colon, we need an outbreak of decency. And so he does what David Brooks does. He's a columnist for the New York Times. And he's focusing on the interior quadrants, the culture and consciousness. That's where he thinks that America needs to be healed and that where that we need to move forward, not in economics and that sort of thing. He makes the case that Trump is operating in the interior quadrants. And here's what he says about Trump. Trump is a cultural revolutionary, not a policy revolutionary. He operates in a subtly changing America at a much deeper level. He's operating at the level of dominance and submission, at the level of the person where fear stalks and contempt emerges. He's redefining what you can say and how a leader can act. He's reasserting an old version of what sort of masculinity deserves to be followed and obeyed. In Freudian terms, he's operating on the level of the id. And I would add that in integral terms, Trump is arrested at egocentric in important lines of development, and he is activating egocentrism, or red stage of development, in the culture and in our consciousness. And that is something that David Brooks points out in this column that Democrats are not very skillful with, particularly in the interior quadrants, in the consciousness and culture part of it. As he puts it, the Democrats are a secular party trapped in a Lockean prison, colon, which says that politics should be separate from faith. Politics should be separate from soul craft. Democrats believe they can win votes by offering members of different groups economic benefits and are perpetually shocked when they lose these voters. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, which is why Marianne Williamson and her message of love is so thrilling. And it feels like it's having its moment. You know, she... Ran for president four years ago, and um, and maybe even before that, and she was just a sort of a voice in the wilderness. But it's funny how the times turn, and that one of the outcomes of Trump's degradation of American culture is an opening for love to come in. She is critiqued often, even by integralists, as well David Brooks. Talked about her wackadoodle ideas, such as reparations. Uh, That is one of the ones that she gets the most blowback on. And I'll even give her kudos there because we can make a distinction between the interiors of culture, consciousness, and culture, and the exteriors, which is economics. Reparations in the exteriors is problematic. There's lots of interesting ideas about giving kids bonds and, um, you know, uh, small business loans and uh, education grants and that sort of thing that would have some tie to the karmas of slavery. I don't know. That gets complicated. But what we can notice is that in the interior as it's happening, we are seeing each other more deeply. That is... You know, it's a little bit like what happens to lovers after a fight. There's something that there's some air that's being cleared here that is opening us up in ways that I think bring out more decency all around. So I'll leave it at that. There's more to say about that. But I I'm good with her cutting that groove in the consciousness. Uh, I do think that the the critique that she's anti-modernist is true. Um. She just to use an example of the pharmaceutical industry, I think she's right on, and I think it needs to be said that the pharmaceutical industry has overprescribed and is pushed prescribing. They're a for-profit business, they have shareholders. It's set up to make money. That is the prime motivation. And we have suffered because of that. And that is true, period, end of sentence. What is also true, which you don't hear her talk about is that pharmaceuticals have also brought on an amazing benefit to society and a new level of health. Yes, health people. Yeah, I know we have a sickness society and we're evolving through a corporate food system, but that is happening also. And I think the gifts of modern medicine need to be acknowledged regularly because they are amazing. Okay, so the next person they profile is Congressman Tim Ryan. And this is another one with a fragrance of integral to me. He is, on one hand, your everyday working guy from Youngstown, Ohio, and that's the district he represents. And I grew up right there across the line of Pennsylvania. I worked in Youngstown. And this is, you know, one of the hardest hit places in the Rust Belt. He is a popular congressman there. He makes the argument that he can relate to the people who would love to not vote for Trump at this point, but yet they're conservative and they come from that part of the world that you know a lot of people say will turn the election. It's Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Certainly they're key to winning this election. And there are people there who would like to not vote for Trump, but they can't go left crazy. And, um, and Ryan has that sort of economic populist appeal. But so there's that. That, would, that you'd sort of expect that from a Youngstown congressperson. But here's the other piece. He has written two books on meditation, one called "Healing America." That's his new one. That's sort of his campaign manifesto. And the other one is "A Mindful Nation." which is about the single practice that can wake us up and make us a better people and reclaim the American spirit is what he talks about uh, as a result of mindfulness. And then his third book is on healthy eating and healthy raising of food and regaining the health of the soil. It's called the real food revolution. So he's really the head ahead of the game in terms of, again, these interiors that I think are really interesting. and. You know, I'm sort of talking myself into it as I do this episode even. But there's a good roster of people here. And who knows if Tim Ryan could win the nomination of the election. I bet he could win the election if he won the nomination, actually. But, you know, he's in the game now. And that's a lot of what this is about. Okay, next is Cory Booker. And Cory Booker is another one that I read his biography, and I ended up just loving him. <laughs> he He's a bit of a Boy Scout, which I like. You know, he, he's a, he has a good amber traditionalism that's installed, and he's uh, overtly religious and has that quality to him. Then he's got this resume. He, too, was a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Stanford. He went to Yale Law School. He is a senator now. Uh, But in the meantime, he was a community organizer in that he went into the communities of need in uh, Newark and lived in the projects for eight years. And a lot of his biography is about those years. And, you know, it's a rough place, but the humanity of the people came through. And I, I, I received a beautiful transmission of that from him, and I appreciate that from him. So, you know, there he is, Cory Booker. We like Cory Booker. Okay, the next one is Elizabeth Warren. And I think it's worth reading what they write about her in this fun Tinder profile that they have here in the New York Times. Hi there. My name is Elizabeth Warren. I hate big cheats and I love data. Let's end corruption in Washington. Stop big corporations from spending billions of dollars to influence our politics outlaw partisan gerrymandering, get rid of racist voting laws, and regain our democracy. Not looking for anything casual. <laughs> I think that sums her up pretty good. And to me, Elizabeth Warren is a classic example of that old saying, "A first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. We'll see about the win part. But, you know, that's my experience with her. At first, I was just annoyed by this, you know, hectoring woman. She was like the female version of Bernie Sanders, and I they were both annoying to me. Then Trump landed his Pocahontas joke, which I still say is his best joke, and I laughed. And then I'm not sure I fought her, but I'm definitely taking her seriously now. And I do think she would be a formidable opponent to Trump. It'd be some campaign. He's very vulnerable to an anti-plutocrat. And she's an authentic one. Again, the world turned her direction. It is interesting in terms of a quick integral analysis to see what David Brooks wrote about Elizabeth Warren in that same column where he applauded Marianne Williamson for embracing the interiors. Here's what he says about Warren. He says, Elizabeth Warren is a social scientist from Harvard Law School who has a plan for everything, Dash, except the central subject of this election, which is cultural and moral. Cultural, the lower left, moral, the upper left quadrant. I'm not sure that's true, uh, but that's his critique and throwing it in the hopper. Okay, next is Kamala Harris. What do they write about her? Stepkids call me Mamala, progressive prosecutor, I swear. 44th president once called me the best-looking attorney general, NBD, which I don't know what that means at any rate. The 44th president is who? I'll have to like, look that up. Hang on. It's not you-know-who, is it? No, it's not. It's our guy, Obama, uh, who had the temerity to comment on a woman's looks. Anyway... Um, my take on her is, I wish I liked her better. And part of what I do like is maybe a little bit about what Obama's noticing is that she has a presence and she's got charisma in a certain kind of way that it, it feels physical, even. She's got a lot of kinetic energy. I'm not sure I see the substance. I don't know where she's at. It feels political. She feels ambitious for the sake of ambitious. Um, so, so far, not getting hooked, but I'm open. All right. Next are the white guys. (laughs) This is from an article in New York Magazine called A Guide to All the Indistinguishable Men Running for President. And the author writes, two of them are named John. Two of them are from Colorado. Most of them skew centrist. All of them have haircuts that say they appreciate a sensible pair of Dockers khakis. Together, they represent nearly a quarter of the Democratic candidates, but are collectively polling at under 6%. And she's talking about Michael Bennett, my senator, John Hickenlooper, my ex-governor, Steve Bullock, John Delaney, and even to me, they feel pretty interchangeable. And it is true, and actually in the same issue of the Sunday Review, Maureen Dowd, the columnist. I talked about to be a white candidate, a male, straight male white candidate these days, you have to have something really going for you that's different and special. And these guys are centrists and they're not getting anybody excited. And it just makes me think about, you know, so does that make me racist against white guys, uh, of which I am one? But I do think there is something to the idea of group karmas. And there is something about being a woman in this time, a racial minority, a gay guy, whatever, that I feel excited by and attracted to. And I want to know what they have to say and what they see that I'm missing or what that might be. And, you know, maybe I compensate for the people who have the nerve to prefer straight white men. And it all evens out and the beat goes on. And there's certainly a lot more to unpack here, but it's worth noting quickly that each stage of development defines racism differently. Green feels that anybody who doesn't see it their way is, is racist. And green includes the interiors, historical karmas, all of that sort of thing in their calculations. They've, they've felt into that. Modernity just wants to get things together in terms of the laws and the regulations so that there's no official... Race uh, racism, uh, and pretty successful at that. And then there's the traditionalists, and they just aren't that interested in other customs and other peoples, and they feel that theirs is better because they know it better, and their grandmother knew it. And there's a whole thing. It's like my cousin said. She said, "I don't know about the Buddhists. All I know is that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and don't bother me." with this other stuff. So, you know, Green, there's your bigot. Okay, next up is Bill de Blasio. And it's interesting to note, he's the mayor of New York City, and that he is less popular in New York City than Donald Trump is. But I must say, in the debates, I think he makes a good impression. He's strong, it would be, again, an interesting contest between these two New Yorkers. And he, I think, has an authenticity to him, He'll take it to the corporations. He's, he's pretty much runs the Democratic company line. But I'm good with Bill de Blasio. They don't really have much to say that's interesting in their Tinder profile here. They talk about his dance moves, that he loves ska, and that he's 6'5", and married to Charlene. So pretty whatever. Maybe inside jokes here. I don't know. This, that's the New York mayor, so New York Times. All right. Next is Beto. Beto O'Rourke. Hmm. Well, I think we're all feeling Beto the last day or two with this El Paso shooting. That's his uh, district. And I appreciate that. I think he's transmitting authentic uh, agony and grief and all of the stuff that we ought to be feeling. So. Thank you, Beto. And I think this gets to his biggest problem, and that is that he would be better sticking with Texas. He was really, I mean, it was enough for him to be a plausible alternative to Ted Cruz to take, for people to take him seriously. And he knew Texas issues, and he was really, you know, good at communicating at that scale. It hasn't really survived the scaling up to the national thing. Again, he's not special enough in this field. And he has that sort of shallow quality, you know, that, that, that telling detail, you know, the, the line from his Vanity Fair interview where they asked him why he was running for president. And his answer was, I just want to be in it, man. I'm just born to be in it. And I think many of us have pondered the deep shallowness of that statement, and it's been a turnoff. So, again, thank you, Beto, for your service these last couple days, and we'll see how it goes. Next is Tulsi Gabbard. I get a lot of mail about Tulsi Gabbard. Why are you covering her more? And Again, she has an integral sensibility in the sense that she is harmonizing or trying to streams of thinking and identity that have been at war historically. For instance, she's a vegan. She's essentially a pacifist in the sense that she wants the United States to withdraw from foreign entanglements, pretty much an isolationist in you know a more sophisticated, good sense of the word. But she is also a military veteran. Uh, She was a combat veteran. She signed up after 9-11. So she's a fighter in that way. She is a mixed martial artist. She is a Hindu with an American guru. And she's from Hawaii. And she surfs every morning. (laughs) And she went to meet with uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria, the dictator there. She doesn't think Russia's so bad, and you know she's got this mix of things that are just you know I want to know more, and I was you know I want I want to see her transmit it, and uh, you know she doesn't to me have a great transmission yet. She is a little stilted, but hey, I'm open. And I'm glad she's in the race. And again, maybe she becomes UN ambassador or something. And I want to just share this quick quote from a New York Times interview with her. And the interviewer writes, The Democratic Party and the progressive movement have always had their share of peaceniks. But even those who opposed military intervention still argued for the promotion of human rights abroad. Ms. Gabbard is different. Does she think America should spread democracy? And her answer is, it doesn't matter what I or our country thinks or believes. This is a decision and a choice and a process that people in other countries have to make for themselves. And that has a lot of integral sensibility to it. The, there is an upward draft. Everybody's in it. This whole universe is. I don't know if she's going this far. I'm going to add a little bit to it. But we can trust that. Now, we can participate. We can love. We can, you know, guide as is skillful. But imposing our values, our systems, on countries that aren't ready for it, it, it's hard to sit back and watch the grinding of evolution when you think you know better. And maybe there's a better way. But again, this voice needs to be in the system. and. I'm grateful that you're here, Tulsi Gabbard. All right, three more. Next is Julian Castro from Texas. He was the HUD secretary for Obama. And in his Tinder profile, the comment is, Beto wishes he was me. So there you go. Um, Again, another one who I find to be impressive I think his ideas on the border are, you know, they're too extreme. But then I saw him on Firing Line with Margaret Hoover, which is an hour-long show where it's just the two of them, and it's an intelligent discussion. And he was far more mainstream. You know, the idea of people, we can't have open borders. We do have to send people back. But there is a, you know, a point previous to which, if you arrived here, there has to be a path to citizenship because it's just the practical things to do. It's the moral thing to do. And what's the option? So, again, I don't know tons about him, but I'm happy to keep my eyes on him. He's carrying a torch for that particular strain of immigra- immigration. His grandmother come, came across the border. His mother was a Chicana activist, as he describes her. And uh, so he has that fire in the belly. And I think he's actually pretty good at transmitting it. And he's young. So more to come from him. Next is Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota. And I just can't warm up to her. Part of it is her relentless smile and her Minnesota nice persona, which I didn't really like or buy even before it came out that she's a difficult boss and throws things and yells at people. And uh, and then I don't know whether that's just snowflakery among, you know, people who don't know how to take orders and get in line, uh, which has to happen on a team. Or is it, you know, is it sexism? Would anybody notice if it was a guy doing that? I don't know. But my other problem with her is that she just feels like she's reciting her lines. So forgive me, Amy, but so far I'm not um, warmed up to you. What they say here is, three-term senator, well, that's impressive. Minnesota, nice as it gets, well, notorious in certain chambers. If an aide forgets to bring me a fork, I will eat a salad with a comb. That's a disgusting image. And unfortunately, it sticks and it's unfair, but there you have it. So, you know, maybe you just continue to be a good senator from Minnesota. Next is, oh, the last one. And again, I don't have tons to say and neither do they. Jay Inslee, who is the governor of Washington, and they say all around Pacific Northwest sort of guy. That's good. And pick me to stop climate change climate change, that's a big issue for progressives, for people who have a world-centric view. You know, when you get, until you're world-centric, climate change feels like it's, I don't know, it's a bunch of facts and I'm not sure I get it. But when you are, it becomes something that is really important that we take care of this planet. So that is a, a powerful stream of energy in the Democratic Party. So all in all, it's, I think, a very interesting and fertile field coming from the left. And I think it covers all of the passions of the left from, you know, reorganizing the economic system, women, race, climate, love. It's, um, it's going to be very, very interesting. All right, that'll do me. Once again, you can find all my work at dailyevolver.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll keep up with the story. It's a, it's a doozy. All right. Bye, folks.